It's a pleasure to welcome you to worship with us at Central today, where we seek transformation through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I hope every one of you experience the power of Jesus alive and at work among His body here at Central today, and you have an encounter with the risen Lord. Together, we are studying the life of King David from the Old Testament this winter, and we're asking the question, how does God give us a heart for Himself? What are things that the Lord does in the life of a disciple that grows within us hearts for God? And today, we'll look at grief. Sometimes the Lord uses our grief to soften our hearts and gives us hearts for Him. King Saul and his son, Jonathan, who was David's best friend, had died at this time in this story and uh, in, in a terrible fashion. And so David sat down to talk to the Lord about his grief. He, in fact, writes a song and teaches the whole nation of Judah this song of grief. Have you ever done that? Have you ever sat down to sing a song of grief as a means for the Lord to soften your heart, to give you hope? It's one of the ways that God develops a heart for himself within you. Let's pray and we'll listen in on David's song in 2 Samuel 1, beginning in verse 17. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would send your spirit and open our eyes that we might behold Jesus, our Redeemer. Help us in grief. Help us through our pain of living in a broken world. Lord, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Samuel 1, beginning in verse 17. And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan, his son. And he said it should be taught to the people of Judah. Behold, it is written in the book of Jashar. He said, Your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Let the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised exult. You mountains of Gilboa, There shall be no dew or rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan is not turned back, and the sword of Saul not returned empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. Your daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother, Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. August 25th is a date that hurts. I feel it in the weeks leading up to that date. There's this irritable feeling in my soul and something is off. I have a hard time putting my finger on it, but it just, everything feels off and my emotions are a little bit more volatile. I don't know how I'm going to respond to what I'm going to feel in the moment. And there's even this creeping sense of dread. Why? 
Because August 25th is the day my father died. And that feeling, that uneasiness, that dread, that something being off in our souls, that's grief. In our culture, we have an uneasy relationship with grief. Sometimes we say things like, why can't you just move on? Why can't you just get over it? As if your your spouse has been dead 18 months, why can't you just move on from that? I went to a Christian speaker event once with a guy who had lost a lot, and he had advice on how to deal with it. And his advice was Fido, F-I-D-O, forget it and drive on. Now, maybe some ways that's easier. Just put your past in your past, forget all about it, move on and do the, the next best thing in front of you. It's simpler, but it's deeply unbiblical. The Bible teaches us that this world is broken. It's, it's marred by sin in the world. And the sin that's here leaves tracks. And we mourn over those tracks, mourn over the destruction of sin. An experience of, of grief is deep and it's ongoing because the world is not like it's supposed to be. And faithfulness to God doesn't mean pretending that it is. It doesn't mean pretending that everything is okay and that our pain is, is not that big a deal. It's faithfulness is not ignoring our pain and hoping that it goes away with time. Faithfulness as a disciple means offering our banged up hearts to the Lord and resting in his promises of, of gospel renewal and resting in the victory of Jesus who was raised from the dead. Living faithfully in grief is one of the ways that the Lord softens us to give us hearts for God. What do we learn about grief from David here as he mourns the loss of Saul and Jonathan? Three things for us this morning. The first one is this. Grief expressed leads us toward hope. When we express our grief, when we talk about it or or sing about it as in this, this song here, when we express it, grief can be can lead us toward hope. Look at verse 17. David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan, his son, and he said that it should be taught to all the people of Judah. Now, David expressed this grief through lamentation, a word we don't use in our vocabulary much today, but lamentation is all over the Bible. What it means simply is crying out to the Lord, expressing our pain in a, in a thoughtful way. A lament in the Bible is a careful expression of of the pain we feel in our lives and in our hearts, and we try to be as honest as we can and express it in as full a way as we can. That's a lament. We find them all over the Bible. In fact, the largest category of psalms in the book of Psalms are psalms of lament. There are more of them than any other type. The Bible models lamenting as as a a kind of way that, that, lamenting all the kinds of ways that sin has destroyed and is destroying what's good in God's world. There's laments about God's people being oppressed. We find laments about the sin in God's people, both in our current generation and we also have lament for sin in previous generations. We lament for personal, interpersonal brokenness. Whatever sin is harming in this world is worth talking to the Lord about, both individually and as a community. And in verse 18, David insisted that this lament about Saul and Jonathan be taught to all the people of Judah as a a means of expressing and enabling them to express their grief too. It was written down. Recorded in the book of Jashar, it's mentioned a couple of other times in the Old Testament as somewhat of a hymn book for God's people. But why would he do that? 
Why is it important to have this, this song of sadness written down so that people in further generations remember it? We, here we are, 3,000 years later, we're remembering it. Well, I remember that national disgrace at Gilboa, he talks about in verse 21. That's where Saul and Jonathan died. Where the shields that should have been anointed and prepared for battle, the shields were now scattered with all the bodies of Israel's soldiers. Why would David want to sing a song about that? Want everybody to remember that. Because at its core, expressing our grief to the Lord is an expression of faith. It's an expression of hope. How so? Well, when we grieve, we're grieving because the world is not how it's supposed to be. And when we tell the Lord about it, we're expressing to him that, that, that we know that you can sympathize with our experience of this sin. And also, you are the one who's able to deal with it. We know that you can understand how we feel, God. And you're the one who's able to do something about this, this pain in our lives. That's why Jesus came and went on the cross anyway. He came to enter this world to offer himself as a satisfaction and atonement for all the sin of our lives, for the sin that's marring his, his good created world. That's why Jesus was raised from the dead. And victory over it, victory over sin and flesh and the devil. And he's begun that work of remaking the world, renewal of a world gone bad. And one day, he's going to return. And he will remedy all this pain and everything that is sad will come untrue. When we talk about our grief, we tell the Lord about our pain, but we also know that Jesus is the one who's able to heal. Jesus is the one who has come to make new what sin has destroyed. As a pastor, I've sat with people in deep, deep grief, and there's no deeper grief, I don't think, than parents who've lost children. Sometimes they say out loud what many of us think sometimes. We think it doesn't work. This Christian faith thing, this where is God? It's not working for me right now. I've thought that. If you're anything like me, you have too. Losses of parents, losses of children, enduring and deep betrayals. We sometimes cry out, where are you, God? And there's power in saying those words out loud. There's power in, in singing them because the grief that remains hidden in our lives, it skews how we view God, how we view his world. But if we talk about it, if we are able to express it, if we're able to sing our sorrows, we're actually pouring them before God's presence where he hears us and he's able to bring healing into our lives going through the grief, expressing it before the Lord and together with other trusted people, the Lord uses that to recover our sense of his nearness. When we pour out our hearts before him, he assures us of his loving presence, even in the middle of the hurt. People sometimes say pain is our best teacher. It's true to some degree, but unexamined pain is more like a prison. The pain we're not willing to reflect upon, the pain we're not willing to, to think about, the pain we refuse to talk about, it's more like a prison, it's like a trauma that, that traps us. But when we express it, when we talk about it, when we tell Jesus about it and tell one another about it, we can be led toward hope because we know that the Lord is listening. He hears and he's able to do something about it. 
Sometimes we don't want to talk about it because it makes us feel vulnerable. Sometimes we don't want to talk about our pain because we feel foolish. We, we feel silly. And even sometimes we feel like I can't stand to be out of control. And if I start talking about this hard thing in my life, I don't know where it's going to end up. And so we refuse to express our grief. Yet when we do, when we talk about the truth of what's going on in our hearts, we tell it to the Jesus who hears and will one day heal everywhere we hurt. There's a place to do that as an individual. There's a place for us to do it together as God's family, as, as the body of Christ. And we tell him about it because the Lord Jesus is the only real and lasting healer. Sometimes we forget it. Sometimes in our grief, we get bleary-eyed and we need one another. We need to sing together. We need to hear God's word from one another to be reminded together that the Lord grows us in hope. Even in the midst of pain, our grief expressed can lead you toward hope. Second, our grief helps us give language to our pain. It helps us to name it. Our grief helps us to, to express the, the truth of what sometimes we don't want to talk much about. We see that in David here where his world was turned upside down. Verse 19, he says, your glory is slain in your high places. Now, some of our military folk here will remind us that the high ground is the easiest to defend. The best ground in a battle is when you're at the top, at the, the highest ground. And if there's a, a, a slaughter at the top, if there's a slaughter on the highest ground, it means you are completely overrun. It means a complete, total disaster. The worst kind of disaster, the worst kind of route any army can experience. And here David is singing, Lord, your glory of your people, even your king, were, were routed on the, even in the high ground. We're completely devastated, God. What was he really upset about? Sure, he was concerned. He lost his best friend, Jonathan. He lost Saul. But what, at, underneath what he's really upset about is the loss of the manifestation of God's power. He felt like God had abandoned them. The strength of God, the presence of God didn't seem to be with the people because the king, the one who's the manifestation of God's power, the one who's there ruling on his behalf, he was, had been humiliated by the Philistines, humiliated by the enemies of God in a terribly debased way. It's a, it was a graphic violence. You can read about it in chapter 31 of 1 Samuel. What David was really upset about is the loss of God's sense of protection and power. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like God's left you alone? Ever have the feeling of, God, I don't know where you are, but I have no sense of your power in my life. Where are you? What are you doing? How do we see that here? Well, look again at verse 19. It said, the mighty have fallen, but don't, verse 20, don't tell it in Gath or Ashkelon. Those were the two of the leading Philistine cities. Why did David not want this rout of God's people to be told in those leading enemy cities? Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised exult, or it means brag. The heartache that David felt was that the enemies of God were bragging because it seemed like God had left his people all alone. He was heartbroken about that. 
the, the people of God were the circumcised that bear the mark of belonging to the Lord, that special covenanted people with God. They were God's people. The Philistines were uncircumcised. They didn't have any claim on God. And yet here they are, <laughs> trash-talking God, trash-talking his, his church and his people. And David says, I'm heartbroken about that. Where is your power, Lord? What are we supposed to do? We're being ridiculed because it looks like you've left us all alone. You left us without a defense. You've abandoned us. Never felt like that? The Psalms say, how long, O Lord, will you be far from me forever? Ever feel like that in your sorrow? Friends, even talking about it, identifying that, that sense in your own soul is a tremendous expression of faith. How? Because if we didn't believe that God was here, we wouldn't pray. If we didn't believe that God saw and God cared, we wouldn't sing about it. If we truly thought that God wasn't there, we wouldn't cry out to him for help. But he is here. A lament is an amazing expression of faith because it says, Lord, I don't know what to make of my circumstances. I have no idea what's happening. I'm not even sure how to pray, but I know that you are here. I know that you're willing to listen, and I know that you have the power to do something about it. It's an amazing expression of faith. It gives language to the, to the fears that we don't want to talk about, feeling abandoned by God. We know that we're never alone. It's not true. The fears that we have can't be true because the Lord Jesus entered into this world. God left the throne and took on flesh and came into this broken down, busted up world filled with sin. He entered here, lived a perfectly righteous life and went to the cross condemned because of my sin and yours, my fears and yours, my rebellion and yours. And he was raised from the dead in victory over it all. He was raised from the dead that the, that the new life would begin in you and that you would know you're never alone again. If you have an accuser whispering in your ear, you have an accuser shouting at your heart, God has abandoned you, it's not true. It's never true because Jesus crawled into your pain alongside you. He stepped into this broken world that you might know the truth of life or grief helps us name the pain that sometimes we don't want to name. And finally, our grief softens our hearts to look for what's praiseworthy. Do you notice how Saul and Jonathan were described by David? He focused on what was good in them. Verse 22, he says they were mighty. In verse 23, he says, in life and in death, they were not divided. They weren't, they weren't parted. They lived together and they even died together in the same space. Now, if you've been here for a few weeks and you've heard me talk about that friendship of David and Jonathan, maybe you think, mm, I'm not so sure you're telling the truth, David. Because we remember reading just a few chapters before where Saul tried to stab David with his spear twice. Tried to kill his own son twice. How in the world, David, could you say the two weren't parted? What are you talking about? David is doing and he's modeling, remembering what was good, remembering what is honorable and beautiful about those men who were lost, even remembering what was beautiful about a man so wicked as King Saul. 
What was he remembering? Verse 24. That Saul brought prosperity to God's people. It gave them luxurious uh, threads. He even enabled them to have gold in their, in their land. Even in the middle of his deep foolishness, God's people were blessed through the leadership of King Saul. And David told the truth. Verse 26, Jonathan's love, his devotion, and his care to David was like a faithfulness and a loyalty that exceeded even the love of a woman, he says. Now, again, we talked about this before. This is not a same-sex relationship, same-sex attraction. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the loyalty of Jonathan. The loyalty that should be experienced between a husband and a wife. Jonathan was so loyal, he was even exceeding that of, of a married couple. He was loyal to David. He was even loyal to his flawed father. He stuck by his dad and was murdered alongside him. Even in the most difficult relationships, there is often something that we can remember as a good thing, a praiseworthy thing about somebody's life. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to sugarcoat a life, especially when someone's been hard to love or they've been mean or, or abusive. Naming that truth, naming that abuse is very important. But with even the worst of us and an image bearer of God, we can find something that's praiseworthy to remember in our grief. Sometimes we look at people as they're either black or white. They're either all good or all bad. They're either 100% for me or 100% against me. But the truth is far more complicated. Every one of us are more of a mixture. We're, we're more kind of gray than we are all black or white. There are things within every one of our lives, every one of our hearts that, that we would surely like to forget. We want to make sure nobody else sees them. But there are also things about our lives that are beautiful and honoring and, and praiseworthy. And it's the hard work of grief that helps us remember what's praiseworthy while not ignoring what's hard. It's the good work of lament, the good work of grief that enables us to honestly name what's harmful without canceling someone because of what's wrong with their life. Grief, lament can soften our hearts to be honest about the flaws of the people we love. Honest about the flaws even of our heroes. I mean, for example, we can lament moral lapses in Martin Luther King Jr.'s life and still at the same time celebrate and embrace and love his theology, his theology of love, his theology of hope, his theology of how he helped people, his theology of, that would bring healing to a world that's torn apart. People are complicated. We can tell the truth about our flaws and embrace the beauty at the same time. Or one of our heroes, Puritan Jonathan Edwards, leading intellectual and founding of our country, wonderful pastoral writings. We can appreciate and learn from what he's written and still at the same time tell the truth about the wickedness in his life, the slaveholding that he was unapologetic about. We're complicated people. We can, in grief and lament, tell the truth about sin in someone's life, brokenness in someone's life, and find things that are praiseworthy to hang on to. I hope that's what we can do with one another. We can be honest about our own sin and not have to hide it or pretend like it's not there. We can be honest about our sin and at the same time lay hold of the grace of Jesus, who is at work within us to set us free from all of these things that entrap us, all of our sin. We can remember Black History Month. We can lament the truth 
about how black people have been treated in our country. We can lament and feel sorrow over that. And we can at the same time celebrate the beauty and rejoice in what God has done in our nation through African-Americans. We don't have to trade one for the other. We can be honest through lament about what's broken and what's beautiful. It's all because of the cross. The cross on which Jesus died in our place, taking all of our judgment, taking the condemnation that you and I deserve for our sin. And in the power of his resurrection, he demonstrates his victory. In the presence of the Holy Spirit given to you and to me now, we are given power to pour out our sorrows before the one who loves you and the one who has the power to heal every hurt, everything that's broken, everything that is wrong with this world. One day, that Jesus who came, that Jesus who bled, is going to make it all new. Our grief can help us tell the truth about what hurts and also look for what's praiseworthy in someone's life. Let me close with this. At my own father's funeral four years ago, some of you in this room went. Thank you so much for coming to my dad's funeral. It, it meant more to me than I could express in the moment, and now four years later, it means even more. I found the, something happening there that I never expected to happen. I told the story of how my dad came to trust Jesus. He had been a hard man. He was wounded physically, wounded emotionally from his time as a tunnel rat recon soldier in Vietnam. And at his funeral, I was honest about some of the hard things about being a young son of a wounded Vietnam vet. The anger that he had, the, the razor-thin trigger that something might set him off and you're not ever sure what it's going to be. I didn't tell those things in order to shame my father. Far from it. It was grief. It was an honest grief about what was broken in my dad. But I also bore witness to how I saw Jesus change him into an incredibly tender-hearted man. His last 20 years of his life, he loved me and loved my family in a way I never would have expected when I was a young, young child. I talked in, the, in this funeral about how dad came to faith, how he came to have a living faith in Jesus who has the power to heal and the power to begin to remake people like my father. I said then, I'll say it today, it's never too late. It's never too late for anyone to cry out to Jesus. It's, it's never too late to ask the Lord to begin to make you new. Because those who cry out to him are the ones the Lord begins in his powerful and effective grace to rebuild us from the inside out. It's never too late. But in telling that about my father, that funeral day, I, I felt my heart swell up in hope. And here's why. Because if the Lord Jesus could do something like that in a man like my father had been, then he can do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine for you and for me. And the truth is, I don't know that I would have ever gotten to the place of celebrating what Jesus really did in my dad's life had I been unwilling to revisit the grief and take an honest look at it. It's in part through grief that the Lord grows in us soft hearts for himself because he assures us, he, he promises us, and we can trust his promise that he will go into our grief alongside us because he is Emmanuel. He's God with us. He will carry you through it 
because he's faithful. And he'll bring you out on the other side in hope because our God is a healer. Trust him today. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you are the kind of God who doesn't cast aside broken people like us. I'm grateful that you did not look at my life and all the sin and the brokenness and the selfishness in it and you didn't toss me on the trash heap. But you sent your son to redeem me. There are men and women and children in this room who have that same story and we praise you, Lord. We praise you that you hear us lament the things that are broken in our world and in our lives and you also have the power to do something about it. We testify, Lord, that you are our healer. You are the only lasting healer. And so we claim that promise today that you will draw near to us in our grief. You will walk with us through our lament as we are walked toward hope in the one who came, the one who bled and died, and the one who was raised victorious over it all. We trust you, Lord, for you alone are worthy. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.